Welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in television and film and learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood that they really don't want us to know. Today, uh, I have a wonderful guest on uh, named Deborah Galels. Um, she is fabulous. I've known her for, oh my God, what, 15 years? She is really, really spectacular. She has and is still running a successful PR media consulting company for the last uh, 16 years. She's been assisting uh, writers and directors, actors, filmmakers with PR and marketing activities. Some of the films that she has successfully launched are Cato, the untold story of the star of Free Willy. It's an award-winning documentary, The War on Kids, and the Chaz Palamatari, Andy McDowell family drama, Mighty Fine for Lionsgate. The list just goes on. She speaks and, and helps promote festivals. She speaks on panels at festivals, really talking about um, securing distribution, uh, looking at the marketing activities for films who are trying to get distribution or bring on a sales rep. She acts as a sales rep as well. She also has produced the award-winning documentaries uh, Bearing the Torch, Politics and the Games for ESPN, Hearst Entertainments, and so, so many more I'd like to welcome Deborah Galels. Hey. Hey, Leslie. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you on. You know, it's interesting because you bring not only a studio perspective, um, this podcast, but you also bring an independent perspective in marketing films to the festival circuit, to a multitude of different festivals out there. Can we just talk a little bit about, you know, what the steps uh, that you take to represent the filmmaker at the festivals and then how you segue that into the markets and representing them in the markets? That's a great question. So, um, you know, usually when somebody comes to me or as far as my distribution and I have a partner, you know, Alyssa Goodman. But usually, you know, they first come because they want me to represent them in the festival and do PR and do, you know, any kind of media consulting. You know, with that, you know, I look for the different angles. If there's like a name in the in the film, you know, I work like all the, you know, magazines, online, TV, radio to get interviews. I, you know, also, um, you know, really help them you know, build a presence online. And you know from this year from La Femme how important that is. But really, I think if somebody wants to um, get their project out there in the end, it's really crucial to do that in the early stages of it because that can weigh in on a decision, you know, when it comes down to whether we're going to take this or not. Not every movie that I have represented in a festival was successful to get distribution. I mean, a lot of times... You know, somebody does, you know, there have been times when people have like one name in there and they, you know, and they're staring in it with that person. And, it, you know, it's like a thriller or something that they thought would be commercial. But and, you know, and a lot of times the filmmaker has a perception that, you know, because of this, they're going to, you know, get into move like a, a studio is going to pick this up or, 
you know, it's going to get on television and you have to kind of manage people's expectations about, you know, what's possible. I have found that, you know, a lot of times I've been right. A lot of times I've been wrong. Like, you know, with Untie Me, a movie that, you know, I represented, I did PR. You know, I met them through La Femme, but I never pulled the trigger on the PR because, you know, they weren't clear about, you know, what they, how they really wanted to move forward with that or not. But they did end up hiring us to distribute the film. And, you know, I had a lot of faith in it because I felt like we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's a really feel good film. And, you know, and it was passed on everywhere, but Gravitas took it and they were amazing. And they're, I mean, the, the acquisition executive that watched it just loved this movie so much. She bent to every, you know, to like all the terms that they wanted for distribution because, you know, she saw what I saw, you know, this was like really a great movie. You know, I had another film before that I did do PR from your festival, you know, um, you know, the new abolitionist with Christina Zorich. And we had to take a different tact on that, but she's in a lot of festivals, but we took it to a lot of distributors and because of the subject matter of human trafficking, um, we, you know, we got the nicest passes. I mean, it took CNN quite a while to pass on that movie really. And so what we decided to do was revamp and, you know, like, and take it back into the film festival circuit, upping the ante and doing more PR. And so now, you know, she's going on a, a really high profile, you know, podcast that I secured for her Emancipation Nation. And these people are like the top people in the country that, you know, work on this. So it's making her film, you know, it's it's appealing on a different level. It's getting, it's we're building the audience like this. And the festivals she's in are just great. You know, they're big festivals that are coming up. So, um, you know, we are, you know, Alyssa and I talked about circling back, you know, now that the pandemic seems to be winding down and there's gonna be more of like a groundswell of, you know, we're gonna ask um, Emancipation Nation to maybe you know, will sponsor a fundraiser using her film. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting that that you liked the film. You you took it on to try and secure distribution. You then sent sent it out, and you were getting passes, nice passes because of the 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 topic, but but passes, and you didn't give up. You opened up your brain and said, "Well, okay, how can we spin this into a way that would work?" And so you actually redesigned the whole marketing strategy on it and then you're relaunching it in the festival circuit uh, and utilizing this podcast as kind of a plie to those other festivals to then circle back to get distribution which you normally which you normally wouldn't do but but you believed in the film so much and, and it's a worthy film don't get me wrong it's a really wonderful documentary but it's it's crazy that you had to redesign the marketing strategy to get the attention you needed on the film as opposed to them just saying yes right away, right? Right, exactly. You know, she also, I had her join the IDA because they, you know, she might be able to compete for that award, the International Documentary Association, at the end of the year. Now, I'm a member there and, you know, they have a lot of people that are, you know, the, you know that enter for that, but there's so many different categories that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, she, you know, I mean, so we're doing what we can to bring out like what that issue is and take it back to that with that audience and the hope that, 
you're going to get something really good for her. Right. And I, I hope you do too. Whereas the other film you mentioned, you were able to secure distribution on that much easier. The route for that was much easier. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right. So when you are, uh, let's say taking them on from, um, a festival and you've, you've marketed, uh, them at festivals and into articles, etc. What then, what kind of materials are you wanting them to provide you to make your life easier when you go off trying to secure distribution for them as a producer's rep? Well, you know, I want to have a really great one sheet and I want to have a great trailer. And it also really helps, you know, if they've started to build their audience or they have, you know, for example, we just got an offer from, you know, the Gibbon Center movie. Um, And that Mm -hmm. was, you know, you had the short version. They made a a full length documentary with Jane Goodell, you know, being interviewed in there. It's, It's a wonderful movie. They just finished it. They have not. They didn't really want to go the festival route because, you know, I mean, they want to get the word out and they're trying to actually get that um, that sanctuary and the front pages. So because they're trying to move and raise money. But, you know, they have an inherent mailing list of people and we already have a huge following. So I think it really helps like with people like don't assume that your distributor is going to, you know, I mean, for example, with Gravitas, they don't even give you a publicist. They help you a little bit marketing from their platforms. They release a lot of movies. You're responsible for that. So, and they're great. I mean, they are very fair with their money and you all, you know, they want you to make money. They, you know, they'll help you. They'll advise everybody. But at the end of the day, that's on you to make sure you're in that team. So I think the three best things is, you know, you have a, a great trailer that, you know, that you have a great one sheet and that you have a plan that you've already started that, you know, they might, you know, whoever picks it up might not totally agree with your marketing plan, but as long as you're doing things on social media, you're building an audience, you, you know, you have a lot of, you know, different ways to get the word out, that's going to help a lot too. And I think that, you know, like when we were going out with more beautiful for having been broken, I believe, that was a factor that weighed in, you know, with vision. Totally. Totally. Uh, in fact, that was one of the key factors for vision uh, picking them up. Not only is it a wonderful family film or with an LGBT hook, but they had a huge social media following and the filmmaker was very aggressive on marketing once the distribution contract was signed. Right. So Vision felt very comfortable because they didn't have to burden, you know, hold the entire burden of trying to lift this film into the marketplace. There was already an innate audience that knew about it from just the trailer. Right, exactly. So where are you seeing um, current percentages on distribution contracts now? Uh, You know, COVID, uh, the, you know, in the COVID environment, has it changed a bit from pre-COVID to post-COVID? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, usually they want 20 to 30%. And I think you can, you know, I think the stronger you have, you know, your, you know, your evidence strong enough that you can, you know, carry this film and you're helping them. You know, I think that they'll pretty much hit you with the standard agreement. You know, with these releases, it's not like it was like if you have a studio film or somebody's putting out your movie where they build up to the opening and then, 
you know, like for a month, they kind of help you. These movies, the way if they're released online and on these platforms, they live, you know, exponentially afterwards, you know, like in six months after, like, you know, we're talking even with the, the world without you, for example, to the Simon Eisenthal Center about doing like a Mother's Day, you know, screening, because that's going to add, you know, like, it's not like it's, it's over just because it came out in November or December. It's like, you're always, you know, you're thinking on the back end all the time, you know, and we even started doing much higher, like, um, you know, Google ads and Facebook ads and really targeting and getting people to go and start renting her film. So I think that, you know, that you have to kind of look at it, like if you're helping those people and they look at it, then those are the people that they're going to, they'll pick that over somebody that might have a little better movie, but it's sort of like how, like you're supposed to do this, you know, aren't you going to take us through the festival circuit, et cetera? You know, they're like, no, I don't think so. I mean, unless it's a specific place like a Synetic that that's part of their strategy and you go to them first and they, you know, they do it and they, and then they sell the movie and, you know, they totally control that. But, you know, the, you know, most of the distributors that, you know, independent films go towards, you know, they're more like it's a rough and tumble environment. Which is interesting, right? Because it's, it's now more aggressive, you know, on, on representing and who they're picking for those films. Right, exactly. uh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned um, 15 years. Uh, that was in reference to how long the distribution companies are wanting to lock that film down. You know, uh, pre-COVID, it was between five and seven. But so now post-COVID, it's really expanded from that seven to 15 year mark. Uh, are you seeing it kind of capping out at that 15 year mark? And should filmmakers freak out about that? Or is that just now the new normal in the land of distribution? I think it's, you know, it's that they hope for it, but you can negotiate it. Like if they really want your movie, you know, they'll negotiate it down. And, you know, on the other hand, if you want your movie to, you know, if you have no other choice and they demand that, then you what have you got to lose? Because... You know, obviously, they're putting in their investment on it. They're getting it out there. They're, you know, they're spending their money. So I think it just, you know, I think you have to kind of read the situation. Like, you know, one thing that we do at my company is that, you know, we don't go to like an aggregator ever. I mean, you know, we go straight to the distributor. A person has to kind of make that judgment. Is it better to give, if that's all I am getting, do I give them 15 years and just say that was great for that film? And then, you know, but if it's a movie where you have a couple, three or four places that want it, then, you you know, then if they really want the movie, they'll come down. What's good, though, is uh, at least we aren't seeing the crazy percentages, you know, coming into play. They're still kind of stable between that 20 percent and 30, 35 percent that the distributors are wanting um, to secure. Right. Um, exactly. what, what kind of, now we are in post COVID. Are you seeing the distributors wanting a different genre of film? Are they wanting more, you know, happier family films uh, as opposed to more horror or thriller films? Are you noticing a trend, uh, in the land of distribution? No, I mean, I don't, not really. Cause I mean, I think everybody programs different things. I think that, to, you know, go back to, you know, the new abolitionists, she would probably have a better chance now because things aren't as depressing. They're going to start going back into theaters and, 
you know, different things like that, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, I think it's just more of an open market. Okay, that's good. Um, are you seeing uh, distributors in the uh, world of the independence? Are you seeing distributors offering money guarantees uh, anymore? You know, pre, pre, pre-COVID, it was, you could still see a few come in and, you know, in and out, uh, but not at this point. You know, a place like, you know, like the Gravitas or people on that level, maybe five to 7,500, you know, if you, you know, it's something that, you know, they would negotiate possibly. I think if, you know, if you sell to Netflix, they're just going to give you a sale and that's going to be that. And, you know, and, you know, you're taken care of for most of the, you know, deals I've seen on, you know, for other companies and stuff. I think that pretty much they want to just do an even split with the filmmaker. And and that would be pretty much like at a place like, you know, like Vision, for example, I mean. You know, she got what, you know, I don't remember, but did she get a guarantee on that or not really? No, she did not get a guarantee, but we got a good percentage rate on it. Right. So that was something, you know, they also like um, put their publicist on that they were going to charge her for that. And so, you know, so a different thing, you know, at a place like Gravitas, they don't do that. You know, they tell you to get your own because a lot of times it becomes a conflict. Like there might be somebody that they really like. And it doesn't really work. I mean, for every film, there's always a different, you know, person. And some people could have a great plan and some people could have a hideous plan. You know, it's kind of, it's just dependent on that wave. So, so, you know, so to go back to your question, not, I mean, I think it just depends if you're going to get a Netflix or, you know, like not Amazon Prime, but the Amazon acquisition to buy it or places that are directly buying it in that way. Yes, you will get money because they're going to just pay you for it. But if you're going to do it with like a lot of the independent distributors, you know, it's a very little, if not none, and then you get a really good deal from them. And they're your they're, they're partners in making money. And so that goes back again to, you know, how you prepare yourself to be in that marketplace. Uh, what's the um, average Netflix deal when you go and you're able to go direct um, and not necessarily? I don't know. I can go anywhere. From like, you know, for a documentary, you know, maybe 50 to a couple hundred thousand. I mean, I think it just depends who the person is. I mean, you know, if you're Barack Obama bringing it in, you're going to get a different fee than if you're just, you know, if you're an independent filmmaker that they don't know, you know. And I mean, and I think it's like, you know, like from what we understand, you know, it's unusual for, um, you know, like for some place like that, like they want to make theirs in-house, but they're still acquiring some. You know, we did have a call with HBO Max because, um, you know, my, you know, like my friend Jen is the head of, you know, um, nonfiction and with the person that picks up the documentaries and, you know, they're very specific about what they're looking for. I mean, but they said, you know, but they have a huge budget. So, you know, if you have a, you know, you can probably get a really good deal there if it's something they really want. You know, I think that they're not going to like, they're not going to offer you like $50,000, and if you come in with a, you know, like even with a series that they're interested to do, like a doc series, it's, they said the budgets are pretty unlimited. You know, they're going to know that they're going to make money from it, that they're going to have viewership and they know who their viewers are. What, tell us a little bit the difference between an aggregator and an actual distribution company for those that are listening in that may be new filmmakers that don't kind of understand that difference between what an aggregator does and what a distributor does. The aggregator could be a company that 
they're like the middleman in between you and like, let's say Amazon, and they can help you get up on the platforms. I mean, if you don't get a distributor from, you know, like from your outreach, an aggregator has relationships where they can bring your film in through a different tunnel or funnel and in a different way. So they're going to be somebody that's kind of going to be your partner. You pay them. They set everything up. They're your financial partner too. So, I mean, we don't even, we don't really deal with aggregators because it's not, you know, like we'd rather just get you the deal straight up and have you deal with the, um, you know, distributor yourself. So different from the aggregator to the distributor, the distributor is selling directly to the buyers. But then there's some people like, like sales companies that, you know, they kind of act as the aggregator, like, you know, the, that legacy films that's, you know, distributing the world without you. I mean, she's basically the aggregator in a way because she's putting out the DVD. She's the one that's putting it on the platforms and things like that. So, you know, she is a quasi aggregator. When you uh, work as a producer's rep, are there certain films or documentaries that you gravitate to, or are you wide selecting, or are you just looking at from a, a marketing standpoint? What is, uh, what attracts your attention? What, I mean, we've been doing this together, you know, for five years or something. So pretty much if somebody approaches us, you know, if we feel like we can sell it, I mean, cause there's some, you know, we got approached by, you know, it was a, it was a nice documentary, but they had already gotten an offer from PBS, but that, you know, they weren't going to be on Netflix because their their main character, who the doc was about, just didn't have a big enough personality that, you know, we mm-hmm. thought we would be successful. And, you know, it's hard because, you know, we charge a fee, but, you know, we want to earn it too. We don't want to be unsuccessful for somebody. It's just, you know, that's it's just too, you know, upsetting because right now, you know, you have a lot of people competing you know, in the marketplace where, you know, they, you know, there's a lot of movies out there. So I wouldn't say, you know, genres like one above another, but I would say that, you know, if we feel that there's like a, you know, a marketing angle that we can go out and sell it with, and we talk about the different buyers that we work with and, you know, and then, you know, the, the better companies, you know, we have our A list, our B list, our C list, And then, you know, we kind of learn from where we go along because people change all the time what they're looking for as well. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're still a producer's rep, but now you are also looking at packaging um, content, uh, television content. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your life uh, in that uh, arena? Okay, so there's two different paths that one can go down, but... Um, you know, I have clients that are in the anime world and a lot of these series, you mm-hmm. know, I, you know, I have access to a library of great things, you know, so now, you know, I have a partner in that venture and he's a very prolific film producer that, you know, the reason that we teamed up is because, you know, it's Mike McCary is that, um, you know, he produced The Ring, that trilogy, and mm-hmm. he acquired the rights from Japan when he was an executive at New Line. So for right. me to even have... um you know, ventured into this, I, you know, I couldn't just go in with anybody and have them take it seriously. It had to be somebody that, you know, A, that, um, that they knew about, B, that had, you know, understood that, because we both have worked a long time with Asian companies. There's a certain protocol and stuff. And also I have a great working relationship with him. So, I mean, it made it a lot easier. 
you know, it took a long time to be able to get the rights to this material. And it's not for every writer or showrunner. We interviewed 12, 15 different people. Um, on the other hand, I have a show that a client brought in and it was, it's a really, you know, it was a very unique show. They're both, you know, writers that have, you know, good credits. Her partner, the, one of them is an actor that's been on like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Boardwalk Empire. And it's about an Italian family restaurant and, you know, the father who wants to retire from the mob and has, you know, his daughter ends up being the person that they all want to take, you know, to be the next, you know, and she's engaged to like this nice Italian school teacher who has no idea about the underlings of her family life. So I would, you know, with that, um, you know, like we had a reading where Joe Montaigne, you know, played the lead. It was, I mean, really good. And I invited a showrunner friend of mine who ironically, you know, has a, a huge history. You know, he also like, um, he owned a, an Italian restaurant at one time in Vancouver with his Jewish best friend. And his family, you know, was very much like the family in this thing. And, you know, so through that, you know, we're talking to their manager. I have it sitting at a couple companies right now where they're really taking a look at it. It seems like everything's moving forward. You know, it's you, you breathe a sigh of relief and then something else comes up and then you have the same old nightmares, you know. Have you um, considered or would you give advice to one of those independents? Um, let's say they can't secure a showrunner uh, doing a proof of concept on this or doing, uh, you know, one episode if they can raise the money just to do that one episode and then utilizing that to uh, sell it as the uh, show concept. Uh, how, how do you feel about that technique or that, you know, that way, that path? So there's a, a young woman who was in your festival years ago that um, hired me, Rebecca Miskin, you know, and from Canada. And um, that's what she did. She um, she did a, a like a, a web series called Night Owl. I mean, you know, she had been really coming back and forth from here in Canada. Um, you know, she got a manager, you know, but it really wasn't working out. I mean, it's it's very hard when you can't be here. And then she made a web series that got into South by Southwest and it ended up changing the trajectory of her career enormously. You know, now she's represented, at, you know, one of the top management firms, you know, as a comedian writer, you know, you know, future. She, one of her shows is on FX, you know, she's doing really, really well, but it was that, you know, that proof of concept, that web series that, you know, hit on so many, you know, different angles, like, Will that become a full-on show? I don't know. I mean, maybe down, you know, maybe she will. But it served enough as a proof of concept to put her in the room where her other, you know, because she's very prolific. She's a, you know, terrific actress. She's very funny. And then she's also a great writer. So I think that if you're in the right place with your, you know, with your proof of concept, like, you know, if your pilot wins at a film festival that's, you know, that where people attend and, they're, and the people are looking for new talent, you know, that's going to, how it's going to work for you. I think going into a network, unless it's something that really just bolts them over or you have, you know, the, you know, the executive, you know, really loves it. And, you know, you, you know, then it's, you know, that's, you know, one thing, or, you know, like sometimes another way you can use it is like, um, you know, Desiree Staples who did the influencers, you know, that you guys, showed, she has, you know, another, you know, um, you know, pilot that's in competition. 
And, um, you know, like, um, it's what she would have wanted. It's like a dark comedy. You know, the, you know, the director is somebody who's very up and coming. He's represented, a, you know, a top management firm. And they met with, you know, FASA from Sony Pictures. And, you know, she gave them advice about, you know, how, like, she felt that they should pursue it as a series. But, you know, the way they're going to be pursuing it is that his management company is going to help. So that's like the other way to do it. So you back into getting a manager that has a literary department and they love what you're doing and they go out and fight the good fight for you and they can add people to make it you know, a bigger package. What advice do you have for young filmmakers out there? either looking for a producer's rep, going into distribution, or g circulating through that festival circuit? You know, I think that the most important thing is that the materials that you show people, I mean, in the end, when you get a distributor, they might change your trailer, they might change your poster. But I think it's like really knowing, you know, what your audience is, believing in, your, in what you're doing, that's going to make a difference. I mean, because... If I'm somebody that's going to make a decision, what, I mean, you know, like if, like if my company, if Alyssa and I get, you know, three people come at us and, you know, one has a really good documentary, but they're not motivated and they feel like they, you know, know all the answers, then, you know, we're probably not going to do it because, you know, you don't know once you get into the marketplace, you know, how it's going to end up and who's going to pass, you know, what, you know, what's going on those different days. So, I think the most advice is to be really open-minded. Realize that you know you have you have control and you have power in that. If you you know if you build your you know your following, your audience, it's very hard for people to say no to that. Well, that's what I think these young filmmakers uh, forget is you know you have to put yourself out there in order to get the best out of the film festival. And if you don't show up and and if you don't network and if you don't put yourself out there, then no one will know that you're there. Now, you know, post COVID, a lot of the film festivals are virtual, and a lot of the film festivals are going to stay virtual for uh, twenty twenty that we are in now. Um, so, or actually 2021, uh, going into this current year. So when they do that, it doesn't mean that they can't still propel that film forward. They can send links out to distribution companies, to acquisition companies saying, my film is showing at this festival virtually, and here's a link to see it. So they, they can still proactively take control of their career. Right. So I'm going to ask you one last question, which is tell us a dirty little Hollywood secret <laughs> for all those young filmmakers listening in that you wish somebody had told you when you were, you know, starting out. I mean, I think that, you know, probably, you know, two things. One is that you have a goal and you can reach it. But you have to just really mm -hmm. be prepared, you know, for the ups and downs that might come in between and don't view them as, you know, hindrances or signs that it's not meant to be, but that they're signs on how to better prepare yourself for once you get there. I think it's just really important to keep, you know, your vision and to, you know, don't, you know, don't put, you know, restrictions on yourself. Like when you get that in your head, you know, somehow you've got to transform that where you don't feel like, oh, I'll never get a showrunner, you know, 
if you keep saying that, then you won't. Right. So believe in yourself because no one else may or will believe in you, especially in this harsh industry called entertainment. So believe in yourself and keep on that path. Deborah Galels, thank you so much. You are uh, an amazing human being, um, a Buddhist as well. So I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show and participating. For all those um, who want to get in contact with you, what are your handles? What are your social media um, handles? You know, I'm on Facebook, Deborah Galels. Um, my website company, LA Media Consultants.net. I'm on Twitter at Deborah Galels. And um, you know, you can also look me up on the La Femme Film Festival site as a board member. There you go. You're everywhere. Uh, so for those that want to submit their film to this year's film festival, go to Film Freeway and search on La Femme International Film Festival or go to www.lafemme.org. Shout out um, and uh, look at this podcast on our YouTube channel, La Femme Film Festival, or uh, tap in and give us a DM on our Instagram, Twitter at uh, La Femme Film Festival. I uh, thank you again, Deborah, for coming on the podcast and stay tuned for all you young filmmakers out there uh we've got so many more wonderful guests to give you wonderful information about hollywood and growing your career thank you all bye